Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Tech Trends Podcast, where we discuss the latest manufacturing technology research and news. I'm Benjamin Moses, the Manufacturing Technology Director. And I'm Stephen Lamarca, the AMT's uh, Technology Analyst. Manufacturing Technology Analyst. <laughs> Why do I forget my title every time? <laughs> Struggle's real. The struggle is real. Um, and, and, and let's, you know, let's get meta real quick, because uh, for this podcast, we actually, you know, just give it a teaser. Uh, we're really heavy into automation and robotics this uh, for this recording. That's and right. so let's talk about um, some automation real quick. And let's, let's just start with you know, every time we record one of these podcasts, it, it it seems as though you know what the, the meet we have a meeting on Outlook right. for recording the podcast and it starts at ten thirty and I'm not knock this isn't a knock towards you or it's just weird that like every time there's like a half hour struggle on getting the mixer set up and the com- the computer to record set up and getting all the the levels and the volumes over the headsets and, and and the microphones right and it's like this every time and and I'm just like baffled that this is my how little of an understanding of like audio and AV work <laughs> I have that why does it need to be set up it takes yeah. it's such a struggle to set it up yeah. every time we're and why on, isn't it like set it and forget? Yeah, we're still on the mobile uh, recording station. Okay. And the yeah, struggle yeah. is pretty real uh, in terms of disconnecting everything and mm-hmm. reboot. So it's just recording straight to a Mac. And I'm just like, I'm just baffled that like, you know, e- even though we have to unplug everything and yeah. then move it away, it's still everything needs to be readjusted every time. And every I time. guess maybe, you know, you could correlate it with like, you know, uh, removing a scope from like a precision rifle sure. like every time you reinstall it it needs to be re-zeroed and whatnot but th- this, this is i think a great area where automation can really <laughs> r- really uh push you know that industry forward yeah. and it's just man have robots do this <laughs> robots need to do this stuff so what's going on in the test bed? This okay, week? big uh big improvements in the test bed so well not that big but um Elena Bachman, um, once again, came back this week and was actually here last night. She showed up at uh, a little after six and she's like, it's going to be a late night tonight. And she actually texted me over the weekend. She's like, I got I figured out the solution to making this D20. She uh, so last week I told you how. She had reached out to NYCNC and they gave her some good feedback. And um, she she fixed a good part of it. Uh, I forget what the issue was last week. But then we ran into the roadblock of the post processor wouldn't produce G-code for us. And she went to Google, Google Forms. Apparently on Google, uh, Google Groups, there is a huge... um, uh, following for using Pocket NC, nice. And she got some answers, and there was somebody like just called out right away. Immediately knew it was wrong. It was like <laughs> your model orientation in the stock in your CAD model is wrong. The orientation's wrong, right. specifically the Z axis. And they they saw that like right away. And we were we did not see that at all. Right. Um, and so it was a quick, easy fix. And she came in last night, and within. Five minutes. She had the machine up and running, and we were starting on the part program. Sixty thousand lines of code. That you know, as I've told you before, um, you know, ten thousand lines. One thousand lines takes about one minute. Sure. So I was thinking, okay, sixty thousand lines of code. This will be an hour. This will be great. You know, we'll only be here for about an hour. If we run into a hiccup and have to rerun the code, you know, let's say two hours max. 
well, these these sixty thousand lines of code took about three and a half hours. <laughs> That's quite the run, um, long runtime. Yeah, it was ser- seriously long runtime. I won't get into the details, but uh, and it's a lot of surface. So just to quickly recap, you started from raw two by two by two stock material, mm-hmm. yeah, down to a say half yeah, inch. We, we converted. Well, yeah, we did it in two steps. Right. Um, one fixturing, uh, we'll keep that in okay. mind. One fixturing, but we started with a two by two by two cube uh, Delrin stock. Um, and that was cut into cylindrical stock, about an okay. inch diameter, I think. Sure. About an inch. Um, so already, you know, we had a roadblock. We had to go from square stock to round right. stock. And so, but that was fine. We did that last week. And then, you know, the struggle was getting the part program right mm-hmm. for the round stock. And then that was a whole orientation issue. Right. And then she cut the uh, the D20 Which is basically your night. final part size. The final part size. Nice. So down to, this thing's probably three quarters of an inch okay. uh, in diameter if, if, it, if it's spherical, which it's sure. not because it's a 20-sided die. Um, but um, it took about three and a half hours. She got here a little, a little after six, maybe 6.30. Um, and... Uh, what happened? It was a single tool. Single tool. No ball in melt. Single tool. So the the tool that, thank you for reminding me, the tool that that we were going to use for cutting this D20 was a uh, relatively cheap one-eighth inch um, flat end mill, three flute, and a 42-degree helix. Okay. And... um, it, it, good tool. Um, it's it's been a really consistent tool. It hasn't been the highest quality. Doesn't yield the best surface finish. But right. we haven't broken it yet, and right. it's not a rigid tool either. Um, but anyway, uh, yeah, the the part finished up around <laughs> two a.m. So I ended yeah. up leaving here last night at uh, two fifteen in the morning. So that that's why I'm so disheveled today. <laughs> more but than usual. Um, more way more than usual. <laughs> um, the cold brew helps. It's hiding a lot. You um, had an interesting way of capturing the part. So uh, you're. The uh, last operation, so you still have uh, the die attached to the raw material in your yeah. last parting operation where it would fall free. Yeah. Walk us through so, your— uh, So in the past, um, last year, maybe even the year before, wow, it's been a while since I made my actual last part. But uh, in the past, I've made a half-scale one, two, three block. So half an inch by one inch by one and a half inch one, two, three block. And um, I did that. You know, three plus two axis machining operation and with one fixture. So it made the entire piece and then parted it off. And when that was done, um, when you part off the piece, when you remove the work piece from the stock, and this isn't a lathe. Parting off is pretty common on like a lathe, but a mill, I really haven't seen much. I mean, I haven't really looked for it that much, but I haven't seen much of that um, in the industry. I'm sure it's out there. But what I ran into when I made that part was when the one, two, three block was parted off, you know, it, it's released from the stock material, it's stock base, and it just falls. Right. The it problem is. is it falls into right onto the cutting tool. Right. And it's a horizontal five axis. Exactly. It's, it's a horizontal, horizontal machine. Right. That's another uh, problem with it. So it falls right onto the tool. And so you get some nicks in your final product. Um, this time with Elena's part, I wanted to minimize that 
that damage from the parting off process as much as possible. So I took our shop vac and didn't put any attaches on the hose. So I attachments on the hose. So I take the hose of the shop vac and I actually took a sheet of paper towel and put it over the end of the hose and secured it with a rubber band. And right when it was at the last 2000 lines of uh, code, which is the very last parting off cut, those right. last 2000 lines fly by. So, you know, there's there's a thin sliver of plastic material just holding the part up from the stock. And I open up the enclosure, big no-no, you know, open up the enclosure while the spindle's at speed and it's doing its final pass. And I just put the uh, vacuum hose with the paper towel right up against the part. So I'm like, so the vacuum is trying to suck in the part right. as it comes off. Um, but the paper towel is there to keep it from going through the hose and yep. into the, uh, the, the collector. Uh, Cause I don't want to dig through those chips. Um, but it worked really well. It nice. grabbed the part, you know, it didn't nick it yep. and there's only a small surface blemish, but it's not like a cut into sure. the final part. It's just some material that needs to be removed from. Right. And, and if we had like, if the test bed had a tumbler that wouldn't be there. Sure. You, well, you could file it away too. Yeah. You could file it away. Yeah, we could sand it, sure. you know, but. Awesome. That's uh, kind of makes me want to get a tumbler for the test. <laughs> I don't think we're going to get <laughs> no, we're not. Tumble deeper. Uh, so it's a lot less learn. I'm uh, eager to see the write up in the, some of the pictures on the. Oh uh, man, there are week. so many pictures this week. Good. It's probably going to be lesson text and so many pictures. But I'm going to try to get the the two G code files yeah. uh, on the um, on the blog post. Yeah, I want to see the link to the uh, Google Groups. Also, I think that's a valuable. Uh, I yeah, that would be. I'll, I'll ask Elena for that link. Can I jump in a couple articles here? Absolutely. Yeah, so, I'm happy to hand it off um, to you now. I've found some research on add, additive, so transition oh, from cool. robotics or automation to additive side. And I feel a little heavy, uh, additive heavy this week. And Oh, wow. I don't, I don't like that because additive have so much hype behind it already. There's so much, yeah. But I found this particularly interesting. So additive has gone way past the hype cycle and we're into production now. So everyone has accepted that obviously additive will stay both on the – polymer side and the uh, metallic side and uh, an article from modern machine shop talks about challenges with processing additive parts so now that i've grown the part what do i do next and generally most of the uh, design cycles or manufacturing process requires some level of additional processing so either you know you could do surface polishing or in most cases you have to uh, remove material mm -hmm. um, so if you have a, a metallic part you're gonna have to uh, ream a hole uh, clean up a surface or um, do some additional processing to the part. Uh, and something to keep in mind um, as we move uh, more and more uh, parts from uh, traditionally manufactured part to an additive grown part is uh, there's a couple of things that we need to think about as we uh, move in that transition. So the article lists a couple of really good points. One is um, what are the effects of the cutting force as I'm mach uh, machining this part? One of the things that uh, additive is known for is material optimization. Yeah. So getting the part to the minimum amount of material needed for right, end right, application. Right, right, right. But are they including that minimum amount of material needed for cutting the part itself? So if I have to, you know, shoulder cut a surface on a part or um, clean up a surface, I'm imparting a force that may not be included in the end application and the part itself may not be robust to cut that surface. So something to think about, uh, and uh, they say, you know, should um, those forces be included in the design process also? So improving the design and also changing the mindset of work holding. Uh, 
Okay. Uh, so now I've got this really, really complex part, probably not a lot of square features. Um, how am I going to hold a part? Um, uh, something to think about it in the future. And the last thing that they mention is a and uh, uh, the, getting the machine ready. So I've got this very, very unique part, and I don't have a lot of stock material. I've grown the part to the minimum that I needed. So getting the accuracy of placing the part in the machine and getting the uh, relationship from the part to the spindle itself down to, um, to a very precise machine part. Uh, so th- it's interesting that you know they talk about the manufacturing process a little bit, but there's a strong need to drive these manufacturing thoughts back into the design world. So yeah. not just receiving this part and now cut it, it's can I machine this part early in the design and FEA process that I've got to hold this part in the in a fixture. I've got to uh, make sure the part itself is strong enough to yeah. take the cutting forces. So it's thinking of a broader ecosystem early in the design phase. Yeah, that's that's actually it's so funny that you mentioned that, and that's your article, uh, the, your first article, because Elena actually showed me last night this. Um, so at, at the the job shop that she works at, she does a good amount of work with a laser cutter. Sure. And they, they you know, the, the material they use are sheets sure. of, you know, metal or what have you. And she has a free program that she downloaded on her computer that um, uses basically you input the dimensions of your stock material right. and the dimensions of the parts you're trying to make. Mm-hmm. And... It arranges the sheet sure. and the parts in that sheet yeah. to make to optimize yeah. the material use, so you don't yeah. have as as you you minimize right. the scrap. And it's called nesting. Yeah, it, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, that's what that's what the uh, the app was called. It was like yep. Digi Nest or I don't, man. Yeah, so you're optimizing material. Gotcha. Usage. Yeah. yeah. Wow, that's usage. fascinating. And one little uh, insider secret I'm going to share with the rest of the industry is. Take a look at how casting was early in the uh, infancy of that. So this is very, very similar to how you process cast cast parts. Okay. I've got a very, very unique shape. So additive and castings are very similar where you're trying to optimize the amount of material that you have in the final form and minimize the amount of post-processing. Right. So if I've got a, say, tube or something that's very, very unique or or a a ball or spherical uh, component, how do I hold that? So the lessons learned from castings are very, very applicable to nowadays uh, additive uh, process going into uh, production. So yeah. I just want to lose that where everyone's really, really excited for additive. Well, you really should apply the lessons learned from making cast parts that we right. on from day one. Or injection molding, right? Injection molds, yeah. 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 This is- so you got an article there? I do have an article, and it's about automation. Um, so it actually correlates – the article beautifully correlates to a trip I went on recently. Okay. And I just went – you know, not, not a big, far trip. Um, went to a two-hour uh, panel in D.C. On, um, that was hosted by the ITIF, so the Information Technology and Innovation Foundation. And this panel was called the uh, State of Robotics in, in uh, State of Robotics Innovation in America: um, Key Drivers to Productivity and Competitiveness. Right. Um, really long title. They got to work on their titles. But other th- that's the only thing I have to complain about. It's the title of the uh, it's the title <laughs> of the program because it was fascinating, sure. and you know it was great because you know it it it. it 
it put everything it wasn't super engineering and right. technical heavy it was it was so anybody could understand it and they really and they had some serious brains on the panel there um and the moderator of the panel was great because he definitely like knew the, the people that were on the panel and awesome. how how deep into the technicalities they could get right. and he was good at making sure they stayed on like you know the layman's <laughs> level so that that was really cool and okay. there's there was a um um uh, an ai powered robot there uh, her name okay. was pepper it's been a while since they've, and, been, they've had one on stage and yeah no she actually opened pepper actually opened the uh, the panel okay um and it was fascinating it was really funny and yep. she was cute and this this little robot was adorable it was incredible like 2 feet tall 2 feet tall um yeah. would get bored okay no joke like as people would be talking in the panel right. if they got really deep into the wheels like i well i guess i don't know i, I don't know the algorithm sure. or how it predicted this stuff but uh you know, Pepper would get really bored and not doze off, but like just randomly, like, like just perk up and start dancing <laughs> if they got, you know, but it, anyway, um, that event correlates to the article, which the article I have is from uh, IOT for all. And the article was uh, titled uh, uh, Popping the AI Robotics Hype Bubble. OK, so we're getting into robots and AI and. Um, the, the big hype with robotics right now is will they take our jobs? Will they take will yes. the robots take over and we sure. go all matrix? But and, and this was a really great article. Not long. It was a long article, but not long winded, okay. if, if that makes sense. Like it just everything was really concise and to the point, And there was just a lot of it. Awesome. Um, but it, everything that was in this article was essentially brought up in this two hour panel that okay. I attended. Um and let me just start by talking about the three generations of robots right now. Sure. Um, and, and I like to separate them into three generations. Let's start with industrial. Okay. So the first robot arms were, you know, what you picture in any car video of right. uh, an assembly line of like a car coming through a, uh, a plant facility. Um, no humans are around. Sure. Um, it's an industrial, an industrial robot basically is, it works alone. The robot arm works alone. It's programmed to do a certain thing and one thing only. And then the part is handed on to the next robot, uh, cell. Um, and if a human enters that robot cell, the robot totally shuts down. There's the robot needs to be in a cage or have laser fence, uh, safeguarding. Um, basically human like that had the robot an industrial robot has to be made safe so humans can be around it right but it can't it, it can't work while humans are around sure. then the next generation of robots is collaborative robots okay where a, a a human can work around the robot and the robot can work around the human um and it knows when to stop it, it a, a a collaborative robot comes from the factory um, safe. Right. You know, it doesn't need any, you know, aftermarket accessories like sure. guards or safe, safe um, laser fences, uh, shields, anything like that. Um, and the and then the third generation is adaptive. We're okay. imp- now we're implementing AI and machine learning to robots. So humans and robots can work together. Okay. 
So collaborative robots try like the, like the whole collaborative robot um, generation tried selling that, but sure. it was really that you know a robot can work near a human right. and a human can work safely right. near a robot, okay. but not necessarily together. Sure, there's been a huge development to make them work together, right. but that's really getting into the third generation of okay. robots. And I like to call them adaptive. There's another company in industry that calls them adaptive. I'm sure a bunch of companies, sure. uh, I'm sure SoftBank, which was one of the um, attendees, one, one of the panelists, uh, a gentleman from SoftBank was at, at the panel. Um, they have their own term for okay. a, this third gen of robots. But basically it was, you know, humans and robots, um, most effectively, the future is in them working together. Okay. Robots can't most effectively work alone, and humans can't work alone. Right. And a, an example of that is um, harsh environments. Sure. You know, just sure. whether it's uh, space exploration. Right. You know, you don't you don't want to send humans to Mars <laughs> yet because it's not safe for them. So let's send right. a robot. We've done that. Yeah. Um, and. Uh, when it comes to uh, sending a robot in, or sending a human to a harsh environment, right. you know why not? Why do that when it's easier and cheaper to send a robot? Yeah, a robot's expensive, but it's a lot less expensive than potentially losing a life. Yeah. Uh, right. Then, then you've got a lot of legal work on your hands. Um, but, and that is one interesting thing that a lot of the articles talk about when robots are going to completely displace the workforce. There's still a lot of value in the human doing a lot of work. Yeah. There's still a lot of touch, small details, uh, the things that require a lot of uh, sensory feedback that robots won't have for a cu- quite a few generations. And I think a lot of the articles I read kind of skip over that. They focus on the robots and not the value of the human. So mm-hmm. removing the side, the, the ability for judgment and reasons, which humans will always be better than robots. Absolutely. But in terms of just physically doing work, I think we miss a lot of that. Plus, I think we're also missing a lot of the articles that I've read on what humans need to avoid. So like repetitive tasks that create carpal tunnel syndrome, those type right. of things where you should, probably should have a robot doing that type of work and push the human to do the more detailed work. Mm-hmm. So I think that that's a really good article that you bring up. And, and one that was the another topic that was brought up in the article and at the panel again um, was uh, retirement and oh, okay. elder care. Sure. Like robots, th- there's no question. Robots will not replace uh, doctors. Correct. You know, a, a machine can't take care of a human because it's not a human. Right. Um, robots won't take care of, or replace doctors or nurses even, um, but they will work alongside them. Right. Um, just because of expenses, um, robots are getting better. And you know, would would you want at, when when you're you know seventy plus eighty plus years old? Um, and you're in a retirement home, you know, would you want a robot taking care of you 24 seven? Probably not. But would you want a robot there when a human can't be to like help you get up out of bed or out of the chair? Absolutely. You know, it is interesting that medical or uh, robots have been in the medical field for a really, really long time. One of the biggest kind of splash in the medical field was a Da Vinci robot where they have a human, uh, a robot assisting human in very, very microfine surgeries. So they have the robot arms that are being, uh, they have telepresence of the doctor basically saying, you know, do these things with his hands and the robot mimics that at a very small detail. So yeah. I can definitely see an extension into 
uh, robots being in, into care. Not quite like iRobot style robots, right, but right. doing limited tasks and, uh, within a, a certain environment. And imagine like, you know, a really experienced uh, surgeon. Right. You know, this person has a lot of experience. Yep. They've done this a, a, a lot through their illustrious career. Right. But they're getting older. Their hands sure. are getting shakier. Right. But the newer, let's say the newer generation just doesn't have the experience to do something yet. Right. How do you make this aging surgeon better? Right. Give them a robot arm. Sure. Like in, in sure. a computer, be like, I, I, you know, make this incision. Right. The robot can do it better, but it needs the guidance from the human. Yeah. That is a perfect example of robots and, and, and humans and working together. One thing in general, the manufacturing industry has yet to fully grasp. I think most industries in general is capturing the experience of a human mm -hmm. and being able to transfer that experience from generation to generation. Yes. It is an uh, underlying problem that a lot of companies have difficulty scaling up uh, in terms of I need to add more workforce and in terms of an aging workforce. And Manufacturing has seen that in the past couple of years, but in general, like you brought up in the medical field, it is a problem. One of the ones, one of the ways to get around that is publishing papers. A lot of mm -hmm. older doctors will, if they create a new technique, then they publish a paper along that take trying to teach other people. But it is a interesting concept where you want them to be able to do more as uh, they get older and physically not capable of doing stuff. Ha adding the ability through a robot uh, is an interesting technique. Yeah, can you imagine, uh, like? Um, a, a, a machine tool cell or, or just a manufacturing cell operator, you know, a person who's monitoring multiple cells right. and there's a robot at each cell operating the machine tool and the robot does autonomously the metrology to a part sure. that comes out of the machine, finds it to be just a little out of spec or there's a, uh, uh, you know, a burr on the part or something like that. And instead of, you know, putting the part back in the machine to take care of the burr, you know, the, the robot gets another part going in that same machine. And then the robot turns around with that part and right. puts it on like a bridge port <laughs> and, and does it's it manually, it. but it's not, is it really manually at this point? Uh, because, you know, now a robot's doing it. Oh, the conundrums. That would be so cool. Uh, yeah. We'll never see that though. No. What? Really? <laughs> Maybe right, not Steve. in our lifetime. <laughs> Probably not in our lifetime. Thanks. Those are really good articles. Awesome. Thanks. Yeah, uh, we'll go ahead and wrap up. This is a great week and uh, really good articles. All right, uh, man. Everyone have a good week. See ya. See ya.